Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. Happy New Year! New Year! Happy New Year! Yeah! Yeah! Woohoo! It is the second day of 2023. Mm. I hope it isn't ruined quite yet. No, oh, I hope not. I <laughs> hope it holds better things than the previous couple of years. <laughs> We're so, on an upward swing. I we are. Like We're doing better. Things are getting better. We're yeah, doing yeah. better. I mean, since COVID, you and I have both gotten new jobs, yeah. which we like. Yeah. So this is good. You know, things are going I good. had another kid. I like him. That's good. <laughs> That's good that you don't want to give him back. I should say right now that I am getting over a cold, which is why my voice sounds like this. So as my three-year-old said before we came here, he said, I'm not sick. I'm just coughing. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not sick, but I am getting, I'm, do you do that? Like at the end of a sickness where it's like, you're better, but your voice, like yes. you can just feel the dryness in your throat and it's like, ah, yes, like a cat with a furball. <laughs> But I didn't have to teach today, so I tried to rest my voice as best I could for this. Yeah, so uh, talk for an hour now. Yeah, Perfect. well, I tried, but I was at home with my almost four and almost two-year-old that wanted me to read them books or play with them. So we did we did our best. Anyway, but I have my tea. I have my water. So good. we will power through this next book. We thought it would be, I thought it would be kind of punny <laughs> to begin the new year on a book called the sense of an ending. There you go. <laughs> and also since when I made you read Murakami, you were so dissatisfied with the ending. Mm. Here you go. <laughs> Here's a sense of one. <laughs> a sense of one. But only a sense. Truly only a sense. Uh, yeah. This week, made Stephanie read The Sense of an Ending by Julian Barnes. I did a lot of reading about the author, actually. Uh, so this book, it came out in 2011. It's told in two parts. Um, first person narrator, Tony Webster. Tony Webster, he, the first part's kind of him looking back on his life. Um, it's, Julian Barnes is British. It's set in Great Britain. It's very British. It's very British. <laughs> so British. So it reflects back on his, like, schoolboy days. And by schoolboy, I mean, like, teenager. Like, what we would equate to high school. And he had his group of friends that were very, um, I don't know, like, Dead Poet Society kind of kids. Like, oh, we're going to think about life and what it all means and quoting philosophers and... Uh- I'm 15, um, but I'm basically a philosopher. Yeah. Ex- yeah. You know, there's a there's a girl involved in Tony Webster's life, of course. And then there's also one of his group of friends, Adrian. Um, he's kind of the standout intellectual. And there's some drama between the girl that Tony is with, Veronica, and they don't really work out. It's one of those relationships. It just doesn't really work. Um, but then later when she starts dating Adrian, he gets real sour sourpuss about it yeah and then later on after they all graduate and go their disparate ways they find out later that adrian commits suicide and so this is kind of a thing that's you know niggled the back of tony's mind for a long time you know why did he do that and 
could I have been in some way guilty or, you know, those kinds of questions. And so then part two picks up more in the present where Tony has been living very much his humdrum life <laughs> and he gets a mysterious bequest, bequeathing, beque- <laughs> bequeathal. He gets, he gets something left to him in the will of his ex-girlfriend Veronica's mother. As everyone does. <clears throat> Right. Like, oh, the mom of this girl I sort of dated and went to her house and met her mom once left me $500 or 500 pounds. It's in Britain. And the diary of his friend, Adrian Finn. Wrinkle. Veronica's got the diary and she ain't giving it to him. <laughs> so there, then there, part two is kind of this unraveling of this quasi mystery uh, of what's in the diary and what happened all those years ago between Adrian and Veronica and, you know, tangentially Tony. And it's an interesting meditation on memory and the stories that we tell ourselves as we get old. That's the sense of an ending to give you a sense of the book. Um, <laughs> Stephanie, I don't know if you'll like this or not. I really can't predict. So I think it's one of those books like... Maybe you'll appreciate what it's doing, but you hate the characters so much that, like, they're the hair in your pancakes. So, like, <laughs> a two-star, perhaps. I gave it two stars. Oh, look! We're very good. We're very good at predicting. Yes. Okay. 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 So, part one was great. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. I I read it very fast, and I was very into it. Um, it very much led me to believe it was going to be dark academia. Yes, it has those vibes. Yes. Yes. And I love a book about a toxic student clique at yes. a fancy, preferably British school that ends in murder. Like, that yes. is all of the ingredients for my favorite books of all time. Yeah, we've talked about... A uh, Secret History. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. If we were villains, we've talked about that. And yep. here are some others that I don't think you've read. The Likeness I've by Tana that. French. Oh, I do like... I've read one of Tana French's books, though. I want you I, to read that eventually. Yeah. Um, the Ivies, The Lion Game, The Secret Place, and The Atlas Six. Like, oh, that's on my... That's on my Christmas list. <laughs> <laughs> Even though by the time this drops, Christmas will have passed. So it was like... It had all of the ingredients mm-hmm. to make my favorite thing. Sure. Um... So we have this close clique of high school boys who are pretentious. Oh, so pretentious. And entitled and fully convinced that they are going to leave, lead special lives. Oh, yes. <laughs> they are smarter than everyone, and they use phrases like philosophically self-evident in <laughs> everyday conversation. And we get this, like... A couple of dropped hints that, mm-hmm. like, something bad happens right. and the group breaks up. That is it's, the... it's not like The Secret History or If We Were Villains where you know from the beginning, like, there is a murder. and you Yeah, know. but you know that this group, something happened mm-hmm. and the group is not the group anymore, which is As always... As always like, happens. Yes, and right? I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tony is the narrator and he's looking back... Part one, at least, is his him looking back on his time at school, reflecting every once in a while on the bad th- thing that happened. Right. And the book opens with him remembering flashes of this spe- of specific moments from this one weekend. And he says, like, eggs in a frying pan and mm-hmm. da da da. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the weekend that, like, dun 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 mm-hmm. changed everything. Yeah, that's the opening of the book. It's just like, I remember these snippets. And, yeah. Yeah. I was so here for it. Oh, cool. Yes. Okay. 
I marked a bunch of passages of their pretentious. It, yes. I marked a bunch of them because I was like, man, that really is deep. And I, I like that view of history. And I loved so many of the quotes in part there, one. Do you want to share one? Here, let's see what here. I got here. Let's see if any of them are good. I While you're looking it up, I found um, one review that took that opening passage of all those snippets from that weekend and then gave page numbers of what it refers to later in the book. Mm-hmm. So it was really fun. I'll reference that in the show notes. But Oh, one thing I noticed... Well, the theme of the book is kind of a reflection on time. Yes. And in part one, where we're establishing this clique of boys, they talk about how they, as a symbol of, like, their group, wore their watches on the inside of their wrists. Oh, my goodness. I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) And it was an affectation, of course, but perhaps something more. It made time feel personal, even secret. (laughs) And I went to high school. Well, actually, I went to church in high school with a girl who wore her watch on the inside and she was very popular. So a bunch of other girls started wearing their watch on the inside. Very much a Regina George. Yes. I saw her wear army pants and (laughs) flip-flops. So I bought army pants and (laughs) flip-flops. Right. Exactly. Like I still remember, I think about that more than I would like to admit that like, remember when so-and-so wore her watch on the inside. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh my goodness. A British group of boys had the same idea for how to stand out. It's like, oh, I do it this way because it's like time is personal to me. Right, exactly. I just, I got a real kick out of that. Mm -hmm. It's one Um, of those books I'm glad I read more as an adult because I think I would have thought it was more profound than it is. Yeah. I read it when I was younger. Okay, so I marked, indeed, isn't the whole business of ascribing responsibility a kind of cop out? We want to blame an individual so that everyone else is exculpated Mm -hmm. or we blame a history process as a way of exonerating individuals or it's all anarchic chaos with the same consequence it seems to me that there is was a chain of individual responsibilities all of which were necessary but not so long a chain that everybody can simply blame everyone else Mm. that idea of chain of responsibilities yeah i think is a theme yeah definitely Mm -hmm. and we definitely come back to like that that theme later yes and i marked that in and that was Adrian talking in their history class about, I believe, World War One, And uh, they're talking about, like, the definitions of history. Um, one of them is history is the lies of the victors. Oh, yeah. And then uh, someone else says it's also the self-delusions of the defeated. And oh, <laughs> it's depressing. Um, someone calls it a raw onion sandwich. Oh, no! <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. For what reason? It just repeats, sir. It burps. We've seen it again and again this year. Same old story, same old oscillation between tyranny and rebellion, war and peace, prosperity and impoverishment. It burps. Yes. That's how you know they're actually 15. Yeah. (laughs) History is that certainty produced at the point where the imperfections of memory meet the inadequacies of documentation. That, too, is a theme that we return to later. That's the I think you've given them a sense of this book. Yes. I'm going to do that all night. So you are that fun. <laughs> so those are the parts that I loved. I was like, oh, all these like musings okay. about history and philosophy or whatever. Interesting. Okay. Then we get to part two. And I found the hair in my pancakes. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> so, what is the hair? Like if you named it. I'm assuming it's a character, but I couldn't. No. Be wrong. Okay. It's, it's the plot. Oh. 
Yeah. The melodrama? Yeah, so Tony is in his 60s and gravely overthinking a very short-lived relationship from his 20s. Absolutely. And the way the relationship is described, Tony and Veronica seem to be essentially dating because, like, the other person was present. Like, (laughs) they... They don't seem to have any chemistry, not even in the bad way where they, like, fight all the time. It's like they're both... You're there. Horribly boring. Their relationship is horribly boring. And the only thing we hear about this relationship is that she's not sleeping with him. Right. Like, she will let me do this much touching. She will not let me do this much touching. Mm -hmm. My life is so sad. She will not have Mm -hmm. sex with me. And he makes a very big deal about how she won't have sex with him. And then he breaks up with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think because she won't have sex with him. And then she does have sex with him after he breaks up with her. Which, again, you're and not he even gets, really sure why. And he gets so mad about that, question mark, that he leaves. And 40 years later, he's still thinking about this. I just I just want to be like, honey, yeah. it has passed. You've had a wife and a child and 40 years to stop say, thinking about that one girl who yeah. wouldn't sleep with you until she did and she did and it made you mad. Yeah, his wife and child and grandchildren that get like all of three paragraphs because yes. it's just like, yeah. Yes. So it's just like, Boring you are obsessed with her not having sex with you. And then when she does, you get so angry for some reason. I was just very confused. Yeah, I think um, I think it, it happened during his formative years. And you know how things like stick in your brain. But I think for him, he did not continue growing sure. in the way he needed to, which is why it's like we can all think back to those times. But like we've moved past it. Yes. We've grown. He has not moved past no, it. No, no. And so when the conflict <laughs> of the book arises, which is that. Tony has to get back in contact with Veronica because she has in her possession the thing that, I guess, legally belongs to him because it was given to him in Veronica's mother's will. So he has to reach back out to her, and he is so bitter about about this stuff from 40 years ago. And he's such a troll, and he paints her to be, like, the world's most difficult woman. Mm Mm-hmm. She was contrary to the point of unbelievability. Yes. Like, I'm sure there are women who are this contrary. But, like, (laughs) I feel like it might have been you, sir. Well, and that... Well, I'll talk later about the unreliable narrator. But the fact that we're getting all of this from his perspective is always like... And part of that is that, like... The way you remember it. Right. Like, that's kind of what the book is about. And right. he's obviously remembering Veronica as a mean, mean girl. Right, right. Even though she might not actually be. But I read a review that pointed out that it seems like uh, Veronica's difficult, like, being difficult is used as a plot device to slowly parse out information. Yes, I think so. Yeah. I think that's a fair assessment. So And the book's already pretty short. It's pretty consumable. It's only yeah. like 170 pages or something. Yeah, it's very short. Mm-hmm. Even though we have this nice, juicy conflict where it's like we're we're having to be thrown back into mm-hmm. this time from my 20s and I'm going to have to think about this friend group and think about this relationship, he mostly just spends time musing about how his life, which was supposed to be grand, turned out mediocre. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and... That is kind of a theme in Dark Academia. Like, yes. usually the things are not happening in the present. It's a character thinking about the past and how right. they remembered this, like, golden time of college or high school or whatever. And essentially realizing that their life, they're more normal than they thought. Like They're not living out capital L literature in their yeah, lives. Yeah, like, you're actually kind of basic. And, like, that's... <laughs> 
fine. Yeah. Guess what? Like, everybody is. Right. But it's just, I just pictured this, like, frumpy 60-year-old white man with, like, graying teeth from his British tea habit just being like, I was supposed to be something. <laughs> oh, yeah. One of the reviews I read talked about the sad sack Tony. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. So even though we've got this, what could be a juicy plot yeah. going on, it's mostly just like bored, self-indulgent tangents. And had I not been listening to it on double speed, like <laughs> I was listening to it on two while reading it with oh, my right, eyes, sure. uh, which you can go a lot faster like that. If I was just listening to it, I would like not even be able to hear the words. No, I, <laughs> I know what you mean. I've done that yeah. for grad school. <laughs> um, it would I would have gotten more bored. Um, I predicted before we started this podcast that your problem with a lot of my books would be they're boring. <laughs> well, and I adjusted my expectations. So part one, I loved, and I was okay. like, dark academia. I realized, okay, this book is not being what I thought it was going to be. But that's sure. not a reason not to hate something, you know? Mm-hmm. So I adjusted my expectations. I was like, it's not what I thought it was. It's something else. And I was totally prepared to still like it for what it was. Sure. So we finally get to a what I would say is like a pretty dramatic ending as far as what it is, yeah. but it's not presented in a dramatic way, and it's just like tacked right onto the end. The last couple pages, it's like, here's the ending. And so it kind of came out of nowhere for me. I wanted the big twist to be bigger. I wanted more villain-splaining. The villain-splain mm. is my favorite part uh, of, a, okay. of a book. Some people were saying that the twist was really obvious to them because of the formula, Do you know what I'm referring to? Veronica eventually agrees to give Tony, like, one page. Yeah, he never gets the whole thing. Of Adrian's diary. And this one page has this, like, rambling thing about relationships and Mm -hmm. how they're formed or whatever. And I got so bored. Oh, yeah. And I skipped over it. And some people were like, well, the ending was so obvious because the formula was, like, philosophically self Oh, when you say formula, you mean the mathematical mathematical formula. formula. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I didn't read the formula because I was just like, oh, my gosh. And I just kind of, like, let my eyes glaze over it. And I was like, this is math. I don't need to actually read this. This is just part of whatever. Some people... It does give you the answer. Yeah, some people, like totally knew the ending and I like literally did not even put that right. part in my brain. <laughs> so I wonder if I would have gotten it because I did not. If you weren't listening and yeah, yeah. I wonder if I would have gotten it if I had paid more attention to the formula. I did not read the formula. Yeah, that's before the last couple pages. The The diary page she gives with the literal mathematical formula and yeah, if you can decipher it, it, it tells you the twist. I really wanted to understand more about Veronica and the mother. Oh. Because... Yep. The way Veronica is painted, I mean, it's obvious that we're getting his opinion on the matter. Right. And I wanted to know what she was really like. We get a very, like, loose glimpse of who she is as a person. And then we have this one weekend where he goes to his girlfriend's house and, like, meets her family and interacts with her mother. Mm -hmm. And they have, like, a 10-minute conversation. And she says something during that conversation. She says, like, don't put up with Veronica, like... Don't let her get away with a lot and, mm-hmm. like, be careful. And, of course, that, like, stuck with him because, like, whose who's mom says that right. about them? And they so, clearly did not have a healthy relationship, yeah. Veronica and her mom. And it's mentioned that her brother and father call her the mother, like, capital T, capital M. Yeah. Instead of, like, calling her mom, they call her the mother, like, when she's not in the room, at least. And so I'm wondering, like... Is the mom the toxic person? Is Veronica the toxic person? Oh, I read it as the mom. 
Once I got to the end and, like, figured out everything that had happened. I mean, I'm certainly inclined to feel that way. Yeah. But we don't actually get very much. We get the conclusion. Like, here are the fruits. We have to guess what kind of tree it is based on the... Yeah, but the fruit is Veronica's mother's child with Adrian. Yeah, Veronica's mother. That Veronica is stuck caring for now that her mom's gone. Yes, so Veronica's mother sleeps with... Her boyfriend. Yeah. And it's like, and has how many times has she done this before? And, and, and Adri- or, uh, Tony, right. the narrator, got a, a vibe yes. from the mother that she was, like, hitting on him. Yes. It's obvious that at the end, Tony feels like he set some kind of thing in motion that mm-hmm. led to the affair, which then led to the baby, which then led to Adrian's suicide, right. which then led... And then the child and, like, that child's life. And then Veronica has to care for the child. And he feels very responsible for that. Do you feel like he's responsible? No, not solely. Yeah. Certainly. I mean, there are other people involved that have to take responsibility. When I read it, so Veronica doesn't give him the whole diary, but she does give him a letter that he wrote Mm -hmm. to her and Adrian when they started going out. And, man... A bitter, bitter pill. Pure vitriol. Like, any... Basically, it's like, hey, I went out with her. She doesn't put out, so good luck. Yeah, and, like, just so bitter. Like, any... Hold on, I have it. But, like, he ends the letter with, compliments of the season to you, and may the acid rain fall on your joint and anointed heads. (laughs) (laughs) That is a master class in... uh, Petty. (laughs) Hateful pettiness. Thank you, Julian Barnes. But in that letter... He says to Adrian, go check with her mom. Mm-hmm. She'll tell you what's up. So yeah. I think he feels like he Adrian set to, that yeah. in motion. Yeah. And he knew, like, he had gotten a vibe from her mom, so he knew. And, of course, you always have hindsight, like, oh, now you can see. But he knew at the time she was a little shady, maybe. He knew Adrian was kind of vulnerable and this, like, I guess fragile intellectual. I don't know what you want to call him. I think he probably takes more blame than he needs to because he's guilty about other things, like the way he treated Veronica and the way he treated his friend and just kind of dropped him. Um, So essentially, my problem ended up being that instead of just really diving into this very juicy plot, we mostly listened to a 60-year-old have feelings about his inadequacies. Yes. And... (laughs) Welcome to British literature. (laughs) There was lots of male fragility in in this book. Adrian's and Tony's and probably others, but yeah. Yeah, Adrian reminded me of 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 all those characters. Like, I can't remember the kid's name on Dead Poet Society that kills himself. Bunny in A Secret History. I feel like I've seen his character before. That I feel like maybe that's it, is I've seen this book before and had it done better. You know what I mean? Because this formula... I've was, seen parts of it done. I don't think right. I've seen it all together like this. Sure. I mean, it's its own, it's its own work, and that's true. Yeah. But, like, just in the course of this episode, we've named tons of things mm-hmm. it reminds us of. If I can name that many things it's like, and those things are better, why does yours exist? You know what I mean? Basically, I've just yeah. had better, you know? I, I've had better Dark Academia, which I think is what you liked the best. Yeah. It's a very good what it is. <laughs> <laughs> like, contemplation about... Because I don't think the Dark Academia books we've mentioned are really a contemplation about memory. I would argue that 
secret history? A secret history? Yeah. The secret? I can never remember. Donna Tartt wrote it. Yeah, I would argue that that one is a little bit more. A little bit, but not quite as direct. And the way that this story is so condensed and told, like, so concisely, I think yeah. is also something that makes it unique. Again, I tried to think about it as what it was, yeah. not what I wanted it to be, which was Dark Academia. It decided it was not going to be that in yeah. part two. But I was still just like, I've seen this I've seen these ingredients put together before, and I liked the way it tasted the other way. Sure. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. Okay, because when I picked this book out, other than the pun of the new year, I know we both love The Secret History. Mm-hmm. But to me, this book is like a combination of Secret History and Winesburg, Ohio. Ah! <laughs> So you're like, hey, take a good book and then mix see, it with something gross. See what you think. Because um, it has that, like, inward mm-hmm. contemplation of, like, life. And we talked about the Britishness of it. One of the reviews that came out when it was published in the New York Times, she talked about how he achieves that thing that many authors had, have done of conveying the inwardness, awkwardness, and social anxiety that constrict British moors like a very tightly wound cummerbund. <laughs> um and so it does that thing where it, it is a little bit navel-gazy as far as Tony, especially in the yeah. second part. Very contemplative in the way that Winesburg, Ohio is and looking inward and psychological. But like Winesburg, Ohio, it doesn't do it for laughs. Yeah. A lot of British humor comes out of this. Like, oh, we're so tightly wound and so awkward. But it doesn't – he doesn't do that. He explores more of, like, the pathos and the heart of, like, what does this really mean for a person? Like, here he is nearing the end of his life. Like, yeah. what has he actually achieved? And it reminds me of, like, the opposite end of, um, I can't even remember the main character's name in Winesburg, Ohio. Is it George? George. Yep. George like, Willard. Yes, I remembered Willard. So it's like George when he gets old. Like, because mm-hmm. he's, we end Winesburg with him setting off to go to the city and, like, he's going to do something. But it's like, what if this was... It's the reverse. It's what like... if this was him at the end just being like, mm, I just lived a humdrum life, you know? yeah. And I guess I was just impatient with his musings because I love an internal musing. That's what I spend half my time doing at least. Um, (laughs) I was just so frustrated with his musings of basically being like, I don't know, this like white male excellence I was supposed to. Oh, I was frustrated with him. Like, that's why I said at the top, I wasn't sure what your hair in the pancake would be. Maybe it is more. Because I don't like Tony. Like, I like this look, but I don't like Tony. (laughs) Maybe that is it because his particular musings from this particular mind Mm -hmm. drove me nuts. I was just like, oh my goodness, get over yourself. Like, sorry you weren't special. Right. I went to a British boarding school, so I should have been special. But part of that, too, and I think what is so cool to me about the book is part of why he was not special is because he didn't do anything. Yeah. Like, he uses the word, like, peaceable. Like, he tried to be peaceable. And really... He just was mm, inactive. Like, I have personal issues sometimes with people that I'm just trying to keep the peace. Sometimes that is causing more problems than what you think keeping the peace is. Uh, and Veronica, at one point, I can't remember if it's part one or two, but, like, like kind of looks at him and is like, you're kind of a coward, aren't you? Yeah. Like, yeah. he's not willing to, like, take the risks to have the life he wants to have. He just wants to, like, sit and be complacent. And now, at the end of his life, it's like, what would my life have been if I wasn't so complacent? Yeah. He calls it keeping the peace, but really what it is is complete inaction. Yes, like, exactly. Life just seems to happen to me, and so it's mostly been fine, I guess. Yes. That's <laughs> it. And so to me, it was like this call from Barnes of like, go do something. Like, yeah. don't. Especially if you said things like philosophically self-evident <sighs> when you were 15, like get up off your butt and do something. And like, like we chuckle at that. And it's, but also like, don't lose all of that. Like, don't yeah. become this like 
you know, he was grayscale like, adult. Yeah, he was like a you know a thoughtful young man at mm-hmm. least to the yeah at least to the point of like having passable pretension, right? You know, like <laughs> wearing his watch on the inside of yeah. his wrist. So like he was a deep enough thinker. He could have you know mm-hmm. made something of him. And I like. Yeah. I mean, the melodrama in part two was. It, I see what you're saying about it not being exciting. To me, it just felt more real because of that. Like, if this were to really happen, this is how it would happen. Like, yeah. this is how the reveal would happen on a bridge. Like, you just sit in there. Yeah. So I liked that, like, kind of almost modernist, like, yeah. very real aspect of it. But I can see why it would not appeal to you. I, when I looked at the Wikipedia page, we haven't done this since episode one, but I looked at the reception. Oh, yeah. And, like, pulled some quotes of just... You know, like a highly wrought meditation on aging memory and regret. You know, we've talked mm-hmm. about that. Not a thriller, but a tragedy. <laughs> Which I think the tragedy is he's done nothing with his life. Yeah. Um, a work of art in a minor key. Ooh. Which is, I thought you would I like the that. way that's phrased. This is my favorite because it could be like a scathing review of the book, but also an accurate portrayal of the main character. Excellent in its averageness. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I want that on like a little <laughs> pendant. Yeah. That I can wear. yeah. <laughs> Excellent in my average. Thing. Yeah. And then the same New York Times review I referenced earlier by Liza Schillinger, um, a mystery of memory and missed opportunity. And yeah. I think that's what a lot of it is. Um, do you want to know more about the author? Sure. Um, so Julian Barnes, he's getting up there in age now. He was born in 1946 in Leicester, England and went to Oxford. Of course he did. You know, yes. Graduated in 1968. Worked as a lexicographer for the OED, for the Oxford English Dictionary. Oh, wow. So, like, it's so British. Can you be it's, more British? It's very British. <laughs> he was a reviewer, a literary critic, a TV critic, but he was known for being very shy. He broke into literature. His kind of breakout book, he had written some before, but it was Flaubert's Parrot is what it's called. <laughs> and let me just say, I've not read any of his other books, but that was his break. He's, he was awarded the Legion of Honor from France. Like, they're, like, yeah, for, hold on, I have the quote. Um, Yeah, he was awarded the French Legion of Honor for your immense talent and your contribution to raising the profile of French culture abroad as well as your love of France. So he really likes France. His parents were... That's not British of you. Like, his parents were both French teachers. His brother is a philosopher. I didn't know you could put that as your career. Like, but that... Damn philosopher. That is what he is. They have, they must have so much tweed in their I, house. I guess so. You and know? elbow patches. Yeah. Like I'm picturing their house and everything is mahogany and maroon and tweed. Yeah. And there's gray hills outside. But they, so, and then this book, The Sense of an Ending, he had been shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize, which is like the big one in England, like four times before this. And this is the one that he finally won it with. Yes. But even with all that tweed and all that gray, he also wrote under a pseudonym. He wrote detective series what? about Detective Duffy. It is the one of the first gay male detective series about wow. Duffy. Um, okay. And he wrote under the pseudonym Dan Cavanaugh, which Cavanaugh was his wife's maiden name, which I okay. thought was cool. Yeah. Um, she's since passed away, and he actually wrote a book called Levels of Life that kind of contemplates that grieving process. So, yeah, he, he's an interesting guy. Also, when he won the Booker Prize for The Sense of an Ending, it took the judges 31 minutes to decide. Oh, that was wow. It. So, like... He finally got it. Um, he also is the current winner of the Jerusalem Prize. What is the Jerusalem Prize? I, I didn't know before this podcast, but I've seen it like on backs of books and whatnot. So I was like, I'm going to look it up. It's given biennially, not biannual, biennial. So every two years. 
I didn't even know that was a thing. It is. A, it's a thing. And so he was the 2021 winner. And so he's the most recent. And it's given to a writer who, quote, um, whose work best expresses and promotes the idea of freedom of the individual in society. There's like a list of previous winners. Some of them, you know, I had never heard of. But Joyce Carol Oates won it in 2019. Uh, fellow Brit Ian McEwen won it in 2011. And guess who won it in 2009? Haruki Murakami. Ah! <laughs> Murakami has also won the Jerusalem Prize. Uh, okay. So this is, I guess I like those types of writers. I um, like award-winning writers. <laughs> no, not just any award. Which I, have you read? Ian McEwen, have you read Atonement? No. Oh, okay. We'll do that. You should later. assign it to me. I will. I have only seen the movie. That's Julian Barnes. His this book also has the same title as another book by Frank Kermode that is a literary criticism book. It's not a novel. Okay. And he said he wasn't aware of it, and then by the time they were getting ready to publish it, he's like, Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I, I like this book for the same some of the same reasons. That you like the first part because I like the academia yeah. side, but then also the thinking about memory and nostalgia side of it all. And like, I think it a lot of books tend to go like glorify nostalgia, but this one doesn't. It's more earnest, it's more real. I call it, it toxic nostalgia. The good old days without thinking about them critically. You think it was so good, but like, what it, what was it I kind of really? think of it as like a deconstruction, because that's yeah. what Tony's going through. He's had this narrative in his head of who he was and how he acted. And what their relationship was. Yes. He thought their relationship was this thing, and he held on to that idea of what it was for 40 years, only to like have to talk to her again and be like, is oh. it what I thought it was? Relationship with Adrian, like, yeah, you know, was it what I thought it was? So I like that kind of deconstruction aspect of it for him. And yeah. It, you know, I'm not quite that old yet, but I'm in my 30s. So, like, thinking about these things, I'm like, oh, yeah, I should probably <laughs> I I should thought, do that. I thought it was interesting how how Adrian ended up committing suicide mm-hmm. for the same reason that <gasps> yes. someone does when they're in high school. So, like, one of their high school peers commits suicide because his girlfriend gets pregnant. And they were like, how basic, how mundane, what a simpleton. I think higher than that. Yeah, like... And Adrian, of course, is, like, the highest of the high. And they all had, like, theories about what it meant that this kid had, like, chosen that path for himself. Yeah. And then... Yeah. When Adrian's older and the same thing happens to him, he Mm -hmm. gets someone pregnant and kills himself. And I liked Tony's musings. Oh, he was kind of average like he was just a person too right we're all just people like yeah and he ended up making the same human choice that a different human who we previously judged like he made the same and choice. they judged him hard like, they did oh, they were that, they were brutal to i that found kid. that very um yeah his last name was robeson they they describe his action as it had been unphilosophical self-indulgent and inartistic in other words wrong inartistic like, you, i can't Oh, yeah. I don't like these guys. And then, like, the the bougiest of all of them does the same thing. Right, Adrian, and they... When he's older and smarter, one would think. And they nobody knows throughout the book why he committed suicide. Yeah. That's, like, a big mystery until the very end. And so they, like, speculate that, oh, he did it for some high-minded philosophical principle. Uh, Yeah, Tony's mom is like, do you think he was just too smart for his own good? Like, sometimes people who are just too smart, they just can't live in this world. It's just, you know... 
too small for them. And I think that's what they all thought is like Adrian was just like too big for this world. And it turns out he had just a really simple human. Yeah. And I think it I guess you could read that as being very bleak. But I also read it as very affirming. Like we're all humans kind of living the same experience. Can I tell you that you're changing my mind a little bit? Really? I I wasn't even trying to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had thought about giving this book a three star. And it's a thinker. Yeah. And even with the, you know, sad middle-aged white man thinking his mundane thoughts. Sad sack Tony. Yeah. (laughs) The thing is, like, I did enjoy some of that, though, because of what you're saying. I liked this realization that, oh, I thought I was so special and so much better than everybody. But it turns out if you don't actually have ambition or character or courage or integrity or whatever, any Mm -hmm. of these things, you can be pretentious and cool in high school and wear your watch on the inside, (laughs) but you can have, you can have a nothing life with no Mm -hmm. special thing in it. And someone who like got bees in school can have a very fulfilled life because they went after the things that they wanted. And I liked him pointing out that realization and then pointing out that Adrian, the like specialist of them all was just as human Mm -hmm. in this so human that he did something that they really heavily critiqued as, like, lowbrow and unimaginative. And I kind of almost see Adrian and Tony as these two opposite ends of the spectrum of, like, wasting life. Yeah. Obviously, Adrian commits suicide. This one um, review I read, and I tried to find a more recent one. There were, because there was a bunch that came out in 2011. But then there was a lot that came out in 2017 when the movie came out. Oh, I thought it... Was gonna be a movie. It's a movie already. I didn't even know that till last week. I have no idea. I watched the trailer. (laughs) The girl who plays Mary and Downton Abbey's in it. I never watched Downton Abbey. Oh, I can't remember her name. Doherty is her last name. The guy who plays Slughorn in Harry Potter. Oh. But I'm not sure. I probably should have looked it up. Um, <laughs> we should watch this together, though. We should. We, should, would, make, we should make black British tea. And <laughs> yes. Uh, can, can we have shortbread cookies? Biscuits. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Biscuits. Biscuits with our mm-hmm. tea and watch a sense of an ending. And then think about how mundane we are. <laughs> <laughs> or how we're not going to be mundane. Yeah. Like, because, so yeah, so Adrian waste his life quite literally because he took maybe too much of a risk. But then this review I was reading um, by U.R. Bowie on the Dactyl Review. It's a review dedicated to literary fiction. He wrote about how brilliant Adrian returns unopened the gift he had never asked for, his life. Mm -hmm. Unlike sad sack Tony, (laughs) who opens the gift but never does much at all with it goes on incessantly letting life happen to him. Yeah. And so, like, he's wasted his life, too, just in a very different way. I kind of want, like, I want to know what happened to, like, the other two guys who don't... Become inconsequential. Yeah. (laughs) The rest of the book. Like, I wonder if they're the ones who went out and had happy lives. Like, they got over their high school clique. They found women to marry and, you know, That they didn't amicably divorce and never talk to again, like Tony. Yeah, even his divorce was boring. Yep. It was like, it wasn't heated and passionate. It wasn't like this big thing. It was just like, oh, I guess we've fallen apart, but we'll still have lunch together every once in a while, and we'll talk about going on vacations we don't go on. Like, you're so boring. Your Your tragedy's boring. Yes. And that's, that is his tragedy. Yeah. Is he didn't go do anything with his life. Like, yeah. So, yeah, I I found it interesting just to think about. And then also, 
I mentioned earlier, he is this unreliable narrator. Yeah. And he calls it out on the first page. That's the other thing I like about this book with all its, like, pretentious characters. I think it's accessible mm-hmm. because it, it does kind of help the reader through a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he states the theme early on. The way oh, yes. you remember things, you know, might yeah. not be When right. he gives that list of all the, like, snapshots he remembers from that weekend... He the last thing on the list is bathwater long gone cold behind a locked door, which is a reference to Adrian's suicide. And then he says, this last isn't something I actually saw, but what you end up remembering isn't always the same as what you have witnessed. I mean, I could call out a whole bunch of quotes from the book that just bring home this idea of memory and the fact that Tony is completely an unreliable narrator because we're dealing with his memories and just kind of this thing like we're all unreliable narrators in our own life history. <laughs> yeah, like me telling the story is different from, mm-hmm. you know. And he has a quote the about the older you get, the fewer people there are to corroborate. Yeah. So you just get to make it up, which he's 60 at the end of this story. Yeah, so. and he's not talking to these other friends. Nope. Well, in that definition of history that I read, right? Um, it's something about like when memory and documentation, like there's not enough documentation to right. back up your memory. And like, there's literal documentation of this, the diary, but he never gets the diary. Right. I mean, it's a little bit frustrating, but I I thought it was a kind of a cool choice. Cause I was not frustrated by the fact that he doesn't get the diary. Because I guess it wasn't the point. The point is, you didn't do anything with your life, Tony Webster. Like, yeah. And also just Veronica. Like, I feel like if we could get in Veronica's head, all she's thinking the whole time is, he doesn't get it. He still doesn't get it. Why does he not get it? As he's telling it, like chronologically, he says that Adrian wrote to him and said, hey, I wanted to know if it's okay if I date Veronica, your ex. Mm -hmm. And the narrator says that he sent back a postcard saying, like, yeah, it's all good. And then he just has a tacked on sentence. I wrote him something longer later. Yeah. And it's the hate. (laughs) That's all. It's the hate letter. (laughs) It is not until we get the letter. And, like, that's all. It's just, I thought, okay, so you just, like, wrote him more than right. one sentence later. Sure, okay. He was not being honest about what he wrote back later. No, and then not. Veronica sends him this letter, and it is scathing and awful. And it's, like, when your memory and your documentation... Do- I might like the book yeah, more than I said I liked the cool. book. I also, speaking of all the quotes the book has about, like, its own theme... This same reviewer... It's philosophically self-evident. I'm going to say that as many times as I can, because they do. (laughs) So this reviewer cracked me up because he pulled actual phrases from the book that he thought would have made a better title for the book. Oh, I love that. (laughs) I want to know what they are. One of them is birth, copulation, (laughs) etc. Can that be the title of my book? Because that's one of the topics they raise in their philosophy class is birth, copulation, death. Oh, my goodness. I want to name anything that. I have got to find something to name birth, copulation, etc. Oh, another possible title. Something happened. That's true. (laughs) Which is apparently a reference to Joseph Heller. or He already had a book titled that. Anyway, later this reviewer writes, I don't think I've ever read a book with so many good suggestions for its title in the text of the narrative. Uh, The sense of an ending is teeming with good titles, some of them possibly better than the sense of an ending. Here are some of them. Philosophically self-evident! Yes! (laughs) A phrase used repeatedly, ironically, throughout the book. Yes. Time is not on my side. A line from the Rolling Stones song also used repeatedly, but without the word not. Every day is Sunday. Chicken in half morning. Yes! (laughs) A great description of Tony. (laughs) Chicken in half morning, a great description of Tony. That's perfect. This is actually, apparently it's like a dish. 
Like, yes. a way to prepare chicken. I like, don't know. I'm not British. <laughs> well, it describes it in the book, and I just read it. You. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, but it's it, been a long time since Yeah, I've a chicken in half morning is where they put, like, mushrooms under the skin, and so half of it is black from the mushrooms. Well, and so, like, the chicken is half dressed in black. A chicken in half morning. Oh! That oh. is, like, a, a dish you can order. I don't remember But this. also, he's oh. a chicken in half morning. Ooh. Yeah. I like that. Um, And then... On his own now, he never got it. <laughs> his favorite title for the book is also the title of the inn or the pub, whatever, that um, Tony keeps going back to next to the river that flows backward. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you can't go back in time, right? Mm-hmm. It's called the Severin Boar, B-O-R-E, yeah. but also Tony is a boar. Uh. <laughs> so those are just some alternate titles taken from this Rather sparse narrative, which I think is yeah. a, credit, a credit to the author. I think author. it has lots in it for not having many pages. Right. It does have a lot in it. The quote you said, something happened. That's, yes. That's one of the things that one of the kids said in class. And he's referencing the... Whoever, Joseph Heller book. Yeah. Yeah. But that was like, while they're talking about what history is, it's like, what do we? why do we have to describe it as anything more than something, something happened? happened? Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's a fun book. I think it's a fun little book. It's accessible. Um, so if you want a thinker that's also pretty easy to get through. I'll change my rating to three stars. Okay. This is why I, at the beginning, I wanted to ask at the end if we changed each other's minds. Because I thought a discussion might one yeah, day change, okay. change well, our minds. Yeah, we need to start more intentionally asking that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I yeah. figured at one point one of us would convince the other it's better than you thought it was. Oh, good. And I feel like we, <laughs> I think we've talked about this before. Do you feel like it's harder to be the recommender or the reader? I feel like it's harder to be the recommender. Me too. Like, I I mean, I'm an English teacher, but I don't always think this hard about books I like. I just like them. Well, and yeah, like, especially for my books, which are not like capital L literature, I'm like, I don't know. I had fun reading it. I thought you... (laughs) I thought you'd like it too. Yeah, like, you should like it because it's good to read. It's just like, it's so much harder to defend the book you like. I feel like, than to critique a book. Um, Yeah. Even when they are, I mean, it should be easier, I guess, if they're capital L literature, but it's still... I thought it would be the other way around before Mm. we started. Um, But then I had to do my first one, and I was like, this is way harder. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It is. That sense of an ending, I think we've given a good sense of it. Yeah. (laughs) Get one more. Stop. (laughs) That's philosophically self-evident. I get one more, too. (laughs) Let's make t-shirts with these things. Yes. Do you want to read some one-star reviews? Oh, sure. Okay. These are nice and succinct. I'll admit, I didn't hate this book enough to go find scathing ones. I was like, I don't want to do that. So I just picked... I even thought, like, should we keep doing this? Because, like, I didn't hate I'll Be Gone in the Dark, but I, you know. I guess if we really didn't hate it, maybe we don't have to... Okay. We could just... We're just going to have a podcast meeting on the podcast while we talk okay, about it. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> yes, meta. All right. I liked these. Okay, so here we go. Are these all one star? Yes. Okay. From Amy. Sometimes I think the purpose of life is to reconcile us to its eventual loss by wearing us down, by proving however long it takes that life isn't all it's cracked up to be. Case in point, this book. And that is a quote <laughs> from the book. <laughs> no, I was wondering because it's in italics and I was like, Yeah, oh, that okay. is a quote from the book. <laughs> uh, Karen with a C. Yeah. I bet she has a fun haircut. I <laughs> bet you she does. Sorry, Karen, we don't know you. Uh, seriously, I would read James Joyce if I wanted stream of conscious ramblings of an old man. Okay, ramblings, yes. If you think this is stream of conscious. It's definitely not. It you has not read stream of conscious. 
Oh, Shreya, Julian Barnes just hates women. He does really crap on his ex-girlfriend for, like, not sleeping yeah. with him and then sleeping with him in a way that he didn't like. I, it, 40 years later, I was like, bro. I attributed he, that to Tony, not yeah. to Julian Barnes. Um, oh, right. That's true. But Tony. I didn't like Tony. Yeah. So. We can say Tony hates Veronica. And to be least. fair, I haven't read any of his other works I'd like to. His newest one is about an English teacher. Oh, well, you should read that. I know. Yeah, and we I'm, won't put that on Julian Barnes, but we can put that on Tony yeah. for sure. He's very weird about the fact that he wouldn't have sex. Yeah, well, it's that British tight cummerbund thing, I guess. Um, <laughs> Ruth says, Ugh, middle-aged white man went to a poncy... Poncy? Upper-class <laughs> school, had weird boyfriendships, had a stupid relationship with a girl who he then lost to one of his vaguely more interesting friends. He writes them a crappy letter, and stuff then happens. Not much stuff, but enough to somehow win it a literary prize. Stupid literary prizes. <laughs> <laughs> this is a short book, thank goodness. There were moments of good writing with certain turns of phrase that I liked, but I didn't like the man. Who do you think she means? The author or Tony? Gotta be Tony. Okay. And I agree with her there. I didn't enjoy the plot, if you can even call it a plot. I thought it had a plot. This is my theme, though. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like the woman in the book. I hated how nobody blooming well said anything. <laughs> for a novella, it dragged. I read to the end because it's for my book group, so thank goodness it was short. I Yeah, I didn't do that to you with the bone clocks. It's long. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking it would turn itself around at the end. It didn't. I had to go back over to see what on earth happened, and then I wished I hadn't bothered. <laughs> All right. Um, Maybe we should pick star reviews for the rating that we give it. Oh, that would be fun. We'll just see what happens. The next one week. stars typically are funny. They are funny. Although I had trouble finding a funny one for for all be <laughs> for gone the, in the serial dark. killer book with yeah, the bad author. I I did. Um, That's fair. I realized that I gave you a book that was not going to make for a quippy episode, and I was like, man, I might oh, have ruined okay. my own podcast. <laughs> no, we we can find the quip. <laughs> we we are wherever great. the raspberry jam is. I'll find it. <laughs> There's an Amish store nearby that makes a Christmas jam, and it's like cranberry. I didn't know and that. Strawberry. I mean, I know about the Amish store, obviously. Yeah, but it's real good. I didn't know that. It's they called had Christmas, Christmas jam. jam or holiday jam. It, it's delicious. I'm going to go get that. You should. You should all go get it. Run to your nearest Amish <laughs> Run store. Run to your nearest Amish community <laughs> and ask if they also make Christmas oh, jam. We should. Okay, let's wrap this up. Okay. So that was my book. There you go. Next week, mm-hmm. we are going to talk about Erotic Stories for Punjabi Widows by Bali Kaur Yazwal. That's good. Yeah. That is the best I can guess that name is pronounced. And I just love saying the title of that book. Uh, yes. Uh, it's been interesting. <laughs> I am not going to comment because that's for next week's episode. So. <laughs> Come back next week for Erotic Stories for Punjabi Widows. Yes. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to You Might Hate This Book. Join us again next week for more discussion of the books we love and the books we hate. You can help others find this podcast by leaving us a review and five-star rating, and don't forget to hit subscribe. You can offer additional support and earn cool perks by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash hatethisbookpod. Special thanks to Montague Workshop. See you next week.
Yes. <laughs> I really will because I love raspberry jam. <laughs> oh, well, any kind of jam, really. 